Hi, I'm Pastor Tony Denbach, lead pastor of Clearview Community Church. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to continue in our series on the Gospel of Luke, which we've entitled Investigating Jesus. Now, the reason we chose that title is because of what the author Luke said as he began this gospel. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1, he wrote, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, in case you might have missed the first parts of this series, you need to know that Luke was researching and writing this while the eyewitnesses to the events were still alive and still available. Now, as you see, as you read this gospel, Luke was a stickler for detail. And as he said, he researched carefully. Now, why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been walking through the beginnings of the Gospel of Luke as he introduces us to the characters that God will use to write the next chapters in the history of his dealings with us. Now, there are fundamental questions that will be dealt with. Who was Jesus? How does God reveal himself? How can we really know the nature and the heart of God? See, we see hints of that in the first couple of chapters of Luke as he lays the foundation for the record of Jesus' ministry. And today, we're going to move on to the record of the birth of a man that we know as John the Baptist. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. This baby would be born to a barren older couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, the last time we heard from Zechariah was way back in verses 11 through 25 when an angel came to announce that he and his wife would have a baby and that he was to name the baby John. Now, as a reminder, Zechariah questioned the angel and asked for another sign. And in response, he was struck mute and told he wouldn't be able to talk until the baby was born. Now, someone asked me after that particular service why it was that Zechariah was disciplined at the time for asking for a sign when Mary, a few verses later, wasn't disciplined when she asked how this would happen for her. Now, that's a great question, and I've been thinking on it. I have a couple of quick thoughts. Firstly, Zechariah was a priest, and Mary was a young peasant girl. I think more faith could and should be expected of a man who was entrusted with the service of God. And secondly, God deals with each of us individually and knows what we need and what we don't. Some of us are a little bit more stubborn and hard to convince than others. I actually think I might have been in Zachariah's camp. And finally, I think the situations were different. Zachariah was asking, how can I be sure of this? Mary was asking, how will this happen? Two very different questions. But feel free to come to your own conclusion. So last week, we left off where Mary had come to visit her cousin Elizabeth, most likely to confirm that she was indeed pregnant, as the angel had said. Mary stayed for three months, so she may have been there as the story continues in verse 57. Here's what it says. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. 
But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So as we examine these verses, I think that it's interesting to note that none of the other Gospels get into any of this detail that Luke felt the need to include. He thought as he investigated that these details were important enough to be mentioned in great detail. So we're going to try to understand why he felt that way. But first, let's look at the account as it's presented. Elizabeth, this woman who is past childbearing age, has now carried her baby in her womb for nine months and gives birth. Now, that's not out of the ordinary, but if only for the fact that she gives birth later in life, this is an occasion to be celebrated. And with all of the supernatural events surrounding it, the birth of this baby is newsworthy. So the first word that stands out to us in this text is joy. See, joy is the universal response to the birth of a baby. As a father of three and a grandfather of six, I can attest to the feelings of joy as those first introductions are made of that new child to the world. Flowers are sent, gifts and cards are delivered, and after a few days for recovery for mom, here comes the company. And in Jewish culture, every baby boy is circumcised on the eighth day, and it is an event. There is an officiant who does the deed, and all of the family and friends gather round, and in this case, the baby would be named on this day as well. The first few verses of our text describe this occasion. So the family and friends are there, Elizabeth and the baby are there, and then it starts. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that everyone has an opinion when it comes to the naming of a baby? And have you ever noticed that people aren't shy about expressing their opinion about the naming of a baby, even if it's your baby? Now, it's a little different nowadays in our culture because there's not really a lot of tradition that goes into naming a baby anymore. We often name a child simply based on what sounds good and whether it rolls off the tongue easily. But in some cultures, there is a lot of tradition around the naming of children. Now, my family is Dutch. And if you look back in our family tree, you see a few names that are repeated over and over again. It's a sign of respect. See, my father was named Tony, or Tunis in Dutch. I was named after him, but Antony, the Canadian version. He was named after his grandfather, also Tunis. He told me one time that when his grandfather died, there were at least seven Tunis Denboks in the funeral procession. I bet that got really confusing around Christmas time. But the Jewish culture takes names very seriously. So the eldest son was almost always named after his father or his grandfather. And the expectation was that they would carry on in the family business, or in this case, the priesthood. If everything went according to tradition, the baby would be named Zachariah, and Zach Jr. would follow his father around and learn how to become a priest, serving in the temple just like dad. The expectation was clear. 
everyone who gathered around that day, from the efficient, to the cousins, to the interested neighbors, to the busybody across the street, all of those that Luke simply refer referenced as they, believed that the baby would and should be named Zechariah. Now, another cultural note here. This naming of the baby in this day and time was a father's thing, not a mother's. Elizabeth wouldn't be expected to have a voice in this. And yet here, Elizabeth very clearly speaks up and declares, no, he is to be called John. What is not recorded here is the sputtering and the shocked expressions that surely would have resulted from Elizabeth's declaration. And finally, they say to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Remember that there are family members in this group. There are people who have probably spent time with Elizabeth and Zachariah for many years and grieved with them over the fact that they couldn't have children. And now that God had provided a son, how could there be any question that he would not be named after his father and carry on the family name? Surely. So here we come face to face with one of the most common things that people resist, change. See, we don't like change. It makes us uncomfortable. We might even know that it's necessary, but we don't like it. A man was interviewed on the occasion of his 100th birthday, and the interviewer said, I would imagine that you have seen an awful lot of changes in your lifetime. And the old man quickly replied, yep, and I've been against every one of them. Now, how many of us does that describe? See, I've been collecting quotes for about 40 years now. And one of my favorites is this one by Max Dupree. It is important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. You see, here, the big thing is not about what the baby's name would be, but about the fact that he wouldn't be following in the tradition of his father. See, God was doing a new thing, and baby John, John the Baptist, was going to lead the way towards that new thing. He would be called the forerunner of Christ. So what happens next? Elizabeth has stopped the ceremony and declared the change, and then all eyes turn to Zechariah. He is the father, after all, and in his house, he would have the final word. So they ask him what he thinks. Now, the last we heard from Zechariah, he was questioning the angel whom God had sent, but he had had some time to think. See, God had placed him in the penalty box and in large part left him alone with his thoughts. Has God ever done that to you? or allowed it to happen to you? Perhaps your life got too busy and you allowed God to be crowded out of your life by circumstance and the busyness that surrounds us all. Sometimes for our own good, God allows the equivalent of what happened to Zechariah to help us refocus our priorities. There's a lot that we can infer from the text here about this priest named Zechariah. See, if you remember back when he was first struck mute, he was told that he would not be able to speak until the day this happened, speaking of the birth of the baby. Now, if this was me, I know what I'd be thinking. I know the conversation that would be taking place in my mind. Um, God, the baby was born eight days ago, and uh, I still can't talk. Like, is this a forever thing? What's happening? I know I blew it, but how bad did I blow it? Hello? God? Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered what God was up to and only been met with silence? 
See, eight days is a short time in some ways, but it can be a long time when you're waiting. Now, I don't know what all was happening to Zechariah over those nine months and eight days of silence. I can imagine. In the absence of his own voice, I think he could probably hear God's voice much more clearly. I think he was learning to trust God as he spent his days watching his wife begin to show and then marveling as he watched what the angel had foretold come to pass, that he was rehearsing in his heart and mind all of the promises of God that he was so familiar with as a priest of God's people. See, the faithful members of the Jewish nation had been repeating those promises over and over again for countless generations. Change is coming. God's kingdom will be established. I'm sure the words of the angel from nine months ago had rolled around in his mind over and over again about his son's role in all of this. The angel said, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. See, I think that Zechariah used this time to prepare himself for what was coming. It seems that way because this time when asked what the baby's name would be, he reached for the tablet and wrote, his name is John. Now, the fallout from this declaration, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now those last three verses are where Luke was heading the whole time. I believe it's the reason that he included these details in his account of the history of John the Baptist and then Jesus. He was laying the foundation to help us understand the expectation of the people as John and then Jesus appeared on the scene. See, by the time John began his ministry, calling people to repentance and baptizing them as a sign, the people were looking desperately for the coming kingdom of God. They knew from all of the events surrounding Zechariah and Elizabeth that something special was happening. That's why they asked, what then is this child going to be? That was a great question. And if he was so special, which he certainly was, how much more special is the one for whom he was simply the forerunner? See, Luke, with these details, was taking his finger and pointing down the road and saying, pay attention to this. What we see clearly in all of this is that God has a plan. These were not isolated incidents, detached from everything else. They were coordinated events, which God planned in detail as he implemented his plan to save the human race. God gave us the law in the Old Testament to demonstrate to us that we are all sinners. No matter how much we try, we cannot lift ourselves out of our sad predicament. And here in the prophecy of the birth of John, we see God calling us to repentance, to change to acknowledge that we need him. And finally, in Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection is revealed the gospel. Through him, there is hope for all of us. He paid the price for our sin and rose again that we may live. 
He established his kingdom and he calls those who follow him to work for truth and justice, promising to return to bring it all to fruition. Luke points ahead and says to all of us, he's coming, look for him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you today for your inspired word. I pray that you would help each of us to apply it to our hearts and to understand how much you love us. May those who do not know you realize the depth of your love for them and open their hearts to you. And may those who do know you live their lives in such a way that it reflects your love in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So go today with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today.